Look at the picture. See the skull, the part of bone removed, the master race Frankenstein radio controls, the brain thoughts broadcasting radio, the eyesight television, the Frankenstein earphone radio, the threshold brainwash radio, the latest new skull reforming to contain all Frankenstein controls, even in thin skulls of white pedigree males. Visible Frankenstein controls, the synthetic nerve radio directional antenna loop. Make copies for yourself. There is no escape from this worst gangster police state. This is Stan Lee speaking. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, lady? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby. By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw a bald-headed. Thank you, Mr. Chris Eaton, also known as the Big Largeness, for that excellent intro. And thank you, Mr. Francis E. Deck Esquire, the lovable lunatic. Look that guy up. It's worth investigating. Well, here we go. It's another episode of the Bullpen Bulletins podcast, the celebration of all things Marvel, two in a row. Get that. Uh, I'm Vince B. I'm David Price. And here we are again. Here we are again. Back, uh, everything's running perfectly, fingers crossed. We have a little something special planned for you. It it would have been a big something special, but the way things tend to go here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
we got a little bit uh, sidetracked by uh, computer problems. But um, we have Mr. Rick Gordon. Of the Pop Cult Online Podcast. Yes. And Mr. Kevin Moyer from um, a little known... CGS. Yeah, this little known podcast called Comic Geek Speaks. What is it? I think that's a... Yeah, geek. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they're just starting out, so if you can give them their... Wish them luck. Yes, wish the... <laughs> gung uh, for Yeah, Kevin from Comic Geek Speak joined us, and we teamed up to answer I Am Hannah's... It's Hannah Lee's, yes. Sh- Anna Lee, a.k.a. I Am Hannah. Had a bunch of questions. She's relatively new to the Marvel Universe and wanted to know where to start. Where, where would she go to get a, a little bit of knowledge on uh, all things Marvel? And we... Uh, and she came to us. Yeah, really. <laughs> we gave it a good shot, and uh, hopefully we helped her out. But as, like I said, things tend to go a little afoul now and then. Kevin was having router problems, and Skype was acting up, and... We we uh, attempted to record part two, and we did with Mr. Rick Gordon, and maybe you'll hear some of that next time, maybe not. But we're going to try and get Kevin back and Rick, two giants in their field, to, uh, you know, let's do part two and, and get Hannah a little bit more fleshed out in the Marvel Universe. But, um, you know, we'll they, see. They, they, were, they were great questions, first of all. I mean, they were, uh, you know, she asked you know as far as events and storylines and just to get your feet wet and some characters and there's some great questions and i think i think we all you know rick's been reading marvel comics since you know he was he was a wee lad kevin's been kevin i think has pretty much a complete run of spider-man and probably daredevil um i mean i'm talking about amazing from from the 60s not like web of or sensational i mean he's 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 a lifelong Marvel Comics fan, Vince is, and and yeah, and I am. So I mean, it was first of all, it was it was great just to get together with these two guys and and just talk shop, as it were. But I mean, you, you really got to feel for how much love they have for this universe, for these characters, and we really did. We, we we had a grand old time. It was it was fun, and and I and I thank Hannah for for giving us the questions so we could get everybody together and and talk about it and. Um, and I think we have some some really good. I think we have some some good starts for uh, for anybody, depending on what you're interested in, as far as you know, sci-fi or straight-up action or knockdown, drag-out fights or just you know things that uh, things with a lot of meat, things that are just some light reading. We got plenty of um, plenty of things to choose from. I'll have a list to go along with um, when the thread goes live, so we can pick off. Uh, anything that uh, you're interested in, and this way everybody can kind of chime in and say, um, you know, what they think might be an essential read or a great miniseries that's collected or the essential read for that particular character. You know, they, everybody can just chime in, and that's, and that's what's great is that even though you might have had four different opinions on any one question, you know, we have we have a few people on the forum that like to voice their own opinions, and I'm sure they'll also be... Uh, well, as vocal as you can be on a message board, but they'll be very vocal as far as uh, what what they like and what they what, what they would recommend. It uh, it went quite swimmingly until uh, we started having technical problems. So yeah. um, we are going to do our darndest to get Kevin and Rick back on here and finish this sucker and then, up and get, get Kevin a Mac. Yeah, Rick already has one, so he he knows where the the real deal is. So that's right. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Let's not get on that old old horse. Um, no, that's that, that's almost as old as uh, pro reg or anti reg. This episode.
episode of Bullpen Bulletins is sponsored by the second annual New York Comic Con. New York Comic Con is bigger, better, and has double the space with more gaming and anime for 2007. Come to the Jacob Javits Center February 23rd to the 25th and experience the biggest pop culture event in New York City featuring comics, anime, manga, graphic novels, video games, trading card games, RPG, MMOs, toys, movies, TV, celebrities, and more. Guests of honor include Stan Lee, Jeff Smith, J. Michael Straczynski, and George Perez, with many more to be announced. For a complete list of guests, as well as show information, visit www.nycomiccon.com. Buy your tickets online now to ensure your spot for the 2007 show. Tickets are available now at a discounted rate for advanced purchases at www.nycomiccon.com. You can also book your travel arrangements online now on the travel page of the website. Don't miss out on the 2007 New York Comic Con. Visit our website to get all the information you need. How was your weekend? Hey, it was okay. Uh, you know, kind of boring the way I like it. I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a homebody. I, I don't like to. I'm not the, yeah, the let's go out and drink and go to the movies and blah blah blah. I, I like to stay home with my kids and you know spend some time with them because who gets to do that during the week? So uh, most of the weekend was uh, spent playing with the kids, reading comics. I uh, took a movie home from the comic shop last week at the request of uh, uh, Matt, a guy who works at Comics on the Green in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're up in in my neck of the woods, northeastern Pennsylvania, check out Comics on the Green. Huge selection. This is not endorsed by him in any way. I've been going there for, geez, it must be like 12 to 15 years. Uh, Dave Romeo is the owner-operator. He's been very good to me over the years. So uh, if you're in the area, make sure to check it out. It's a great store. Anyway, um, Matt said, Vince, you got to check out this movie because I'm a huge horror buff. So the film in question turned out to be Cabin Fever. Have you seen that? I haven't. Just, just snippets here and there. Oh, my God. It was done by Eli Roth. It is disgusting. It's, uh, you know... It, Eli it, Roth, isn't that the guy that did uh, Hostel? Yes. It's, okay. it, it's a play on the old bunch of college kids in a cabin, isolated yes. type thing, but it takes a turn that I never expected. And, you know, I can handle zombies and, you know, Lovecraftian horror, but as soon as you get into the biological horror, like the, uh, the Japanese love that. You know, anything that's true to life, viruses, and, and it just creeps me right out because it could happen. And something gets in the water supply, and it's a flesh-eating virus. It, this movie is disgusting, but it's really well done, re- exceptionally well done. And, uh, you know, the, the, the true hall- hallmark of a horror movie for me is if it creeps me out to the point where... You know, I want to change my eating habits or, you know, the way I do things. Uh, Cabin Fever is, it's, it's one of those kind of movies that'll stick with you, much like the, uh, the virus in the movie. It's, it's, it's really intense, very disturbing, and a bit too close to real life for me. It's just well acted. It, that uh, Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World is in it. And it's a total departure from that. It's just, it's so intense, very graphic, and there's a hot sex scene in it. Woo! It'll kill your toes. She's gorgeous. But uh, anyway, if you get a chance, rent Cabin Fever. Don't buy it because I don't think it's a movie you'd want to have. You know, it's it's not going to, you're not going to watch this thing more than once or twice. Very, very disturbing. Wow. So, So that was my weekend. Are you glad you asked? <laughs> oh, I am. I am. 
we uh, on Saturday we had the bright idea to go out to um, Woodbury Commons, which is which is a premium outlet, and it's it's an outdoor mall. And I don't know how it was over there, but in your neck of the woods in Pennsylvania, but it was. Um, I don't think it was with the wind. I, I don't think. I think we were lucky if we hit thirty-five degrees, and we're we're walking around outside. I, you know, it wasn't wasn't one of our slicker moves. It wasn't the brightest of things we could have done, but um, we uh, we had to do some exchanging, some shopping, and and it was pretty much the last day we had to do it. So. We had to do what we had to do, and um, it's a nice drive out there. It's it's normally a great place, but um, not when it's freaking cold. So we did that on Saturday. Yesterday, I think we just did some um, some things around the house, and uh, and now it's Monday. Do they have like a bookstore or a a music store in that uh, place? They do not. It's mostly clothing. It's most and it's for the most part it's high end stuff like. Uh, Dooney and Burke, like uh, uh, Godiva, like yeah. um, so. You know, it's just it's 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 a lot of hoity-toity. There's there's a great Bose outlet. Um, Disney's even got a store there. I mean, there's this just it really is. I mean, they don't. Oh, Mikasa, Saks. Um, so it's man hell, is what you're trying to say? Yeah, basically, <laughs> it basically is. Except for the Bose store, and. Um, and maybe the food court. Yeah. But, but other than that. Kill me now. I'm going to go wait in the car. <laughs> but uh, so let's talk about Marvel Comics. Let's talk com- about what we're here for. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Let's get into some Marvel Comics. I know you had a couple of comics you want to talk about. And like I said last episode, I'm going to jump into Essential Defenders Volume 2 and drag a little bit of Volume 1 along with it. So, okay. Yeah. Well, um, I know you're going to be praising uh, defenders, because naturally it's defenders, and and I do have a book, I do have a title that I will be speaking very highly of. But uh, something that I wasn't supremely thrilled with, but the art is fantastic because I think this work is is smoother than their work that they did for the other guys. I read Irredeemable Ant Man number three, and Hester and Parks have done a phenomenal job of illustrating this tale. Unfortunately, it's a tale that uh, I'm not really thrilled with because I have, I don't know, I mean, I I like the idea of us having a quote-unquote hero that's really not a nice guy, and this is what happens when someone who's slimy ends up with a super suit. You know, it's it's neat, and it's and I like the story, but I don't know if I like the story enough to buy it every month. Eric just does absolutely nothing for me, and it's... And so maybe maybe that means Kirkman is doing a, a great job because he's writing a character that I don't want to like, let alone buy his story. And it's if it really wasn't for the art, I might have dropped the book already. But it's 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 still it's it's a neat. I, I'm I'm enjoying still reading, you know, what's going on the past six months and 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 Eric getting used to the um you know the flashback we have of Eric and um. And going to uh, to see Chris's parents, who we know Chris perished in issue two, and um, you know I just, but I I just I see I see Eric, and there are people that he reminds me of that I went to high school with, and I wasn't fond of them either. <laughs> uh, so you know why do I want to be reminded of these losers month in month out? But you know, like I said, I'm gonna I'm still gonna stick with the story, see where it's going. The I, I can't say no to the art. I don't know. Aside from I think what really, really did it is the whole 
him taking no for an answer when the woman said that, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to sleep with you or have sex with you. But then, then he goes and gets his bag, his Ant Man suit, and and he 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 basically he moves in, and and now he's you know <laughs> watching her take a shower, and it's like, man, why? <sighs> you know, but I, I <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I I have to laugh because Eric O'Grady is the closest character in the Marvel Universe to Vince B. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I'm not lying. I'm not just saying this to be, you know, I have to get in pig mode because that's who I am or that's who I want people to think I am. If I had the capability to shrink down to the size of an ant, I would pretty much do exactly what Eric O'Grady's doing. I would use, and I'm sure you're not alone. No, I would use it to spy on women taking it. I, you know, because it's how many times have you seen a hot woman? You know, and it's like, wow, I would love to see that chick taking a shower. I would do it. I would shrink right down. Get, I would do exactly what he does. I, I love the way Kirkman is bringing the enemy of the state into this. Yeah, uh, although it's yeah, on the yeah. it's on the periphery, it, it's still a little bit tied into it. I like that. Like like you said, the art is just superb I, I, and it's I, dense i mean yes. you count up the panels on a page it's amazing the thing that really got me was the opening page i love oh, yeah, yeah i love the, the monologue with the ant yeah that's and it, a, a design wise that's a great page it it, is. It, it it pulls you right into the story it gives you a little bit of impact from an ant of all things and like you said really panel heavy and and every panel is just really really nicely designed I don't think I've enjoyed Phil Hester this much, ever. Really? And Andy Parks. I really like what they're doing with this book. We got two letters pages. Yep. I really like the character of Mitch. Yeah, and, and did you notice, though, if if you compare the, the image of Mitch on the last page to a few pages prior where Hank and Commander Maria Hill stopped by the hospital to see him, there's a little bit of a difference there as far as um, his appearance, which means that the way we see Mitch on the last page didn't happen when the helicarrier crashed. So then how do we get to Mitch looking like this to Mitch looking like that? Looking a little bit like Jigsaw. Oh, on a good day. Looking yeah. a little bit like uh, Arseface. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, I'm surprised he still has his job, actually, because if you noticed, he asked Hank Pym, who's the chick with you? <laughs> and let's see him try that nowadays. Six months ago, that might have flew. But, yeah. um, but Eric is not doing anything that a... That a normal... No, you're absolutely right. And and if, and if you can even go back, and he tries to... Um, he tries to stop the, the husband mm-hmm. abusing the wife. And, you know, he screws that up. But, you know, he, he tried. So, he gave I mean, it a shot. Know, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, so you, you know that there might be... You know that, like they say, there's good in all of us, but it's like it's it's the good, so is is so small. I mean, the bad outweighs it so much, and it's it's just it's kind of hard for me to get through knowing that there's so much other stuff out there that you know I I can I can invest my my time and money in, and I'm like you know, give me something. But you know, I I was gonna say, you know, is is there anything? Re- Worthy? Is there anything that redeemable in this book? But then you look at the title of the damn thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the world's most unlikable superhero. It's right on the front. 
I think it's a fresh take. I, I, I really appreciate the fact that he's not Steve Rogers. He's not squeaky clean. And if you look at the, the scene in the in the graveyard, he, he's mourning for his friend, but he's not doing anything that she doesn't consent to, you know? So he's just, he's acting on an impulse. Yeah, but see, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, but... It is in poor taste. And it's, it's, well, I mean, never mind the fact that it's in poor taste, but he's, I don't think he, this, this wasn't, to me, that wasn't a, um, that wasn't a natural or a, um, an innocent, um, gesture on his part. This was, he's, he's calculated this since day one with, with this woman. Sure. So he's, he's, what's the word? He's prying on her emotions and he, he's, because she's vulnerable, because she's feeling like this, he knows he's going to be. He's going to try to go as far as he can. And I know people like this. Like I said, and <laughs> you do a podcast it's, with one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's, you know, I don't. He he'd be fine with himself in the morning, and he, but he wouldn't give a shit about how she felt. And luckily, you know, she realized it early enough before anything serious happened. But I mean, just the fact that he even I I don't. Yeah. And, but you're right. I mean, you know, there's, there's, he's not squeaky clean. He's not Steve Rogers. And, and there is room for a comic book featuring someone like this, just like there is a comic book featuring Steve Rogers. And it's, there's, there's plenty of room for, for everybody. I, you know, can this, can this series last, you know, 25, 50 issues with this character? I don't know because, like, as with anything, things get old quick. And, Again, I'm I'm sticking with it because the art is phenomenal. Right. I am curious to see how this particular story that takes place over the course of six months or so, how it's gonna unfold. In issue five we have uh we, we, we have Ant Man versus Ant Man. So mm-hmm. I'm 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 curious to see Hank Pym back in action and, and going after um Ant Man. So if, if if you're looking at how I'm complaining about this comic book, if this is the worst that I have to say about it, then <laughs> You know, obviously, obviously, Kirkman's doing his job because it's it, this is about a character that I don't want to like. Right. I don't. I don't like him as far as I can throw him. And when he's small, you could probably throw him quite a bit. There you go. We've had five hundred plus issues of Squeaky Clean, Peter Parker, who endlessly deliberates things and second guesses himself. This is a guy in Ant Man who is able to block that out. Who doesn't think of the ramifications of his actions and just acts below the belt. I, I think we can get a hundred issues of that. Let's just say, I'm hoping because this guy's me. <laughs> I, I want to see, I want to see a hundred issues of me. <laughs> the, the, the irredeemable Vince That's right. It's so true. It is. Hey guys, it's Tom Caters, and I just got finished listening to episode 16, and it's good to hear you guys back on the old interweb. And in the immortal words of my favorite felt Muppet philosophers, Statler and Waldorf, how could have it been worse? It could have been longer. So, uh, moving on, what's what's your next title? Well, this one I really enjoyed. Um, there, there really is only one one Spider-Man writer, and his name is Peter David. And that's not to slight J. Michael Straczynski on... Uh, on amazing, or um, or or Roberto on sensational, uh, but friendly neighborhood Spider-Man number fifteen was not only a fantastically written issue, but Scott Eaton is a phenomenal artist, and and John Delon inks really 
makes the lines come out because it's um we get some nice backstory with Adrian Toomes, aka the Vulture. Mm-hmm. We get a great appearance by Miss Betty Brandt, who looks gorgeous. Yeah, she's been around the block a number of times too, and she looks great. <laughs> and she's ballsy, and uh, I, I really, you know, basically she 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 says to Deb what we all would like to say to Deb, who yep. uh, who's decided to you know come forward and talk about her life with this man who betrayed her because he's Spider Man. We get the we of course we get the appearance by Flash Thompson, and something mysterious with a school nurse who goes by the name Arrow, mm-hmm. and and an appearance by someone who does a news show on Comedy Central. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> that, was, that was a nice nod. Totally unexpected. Yes, except he uh, he I, I don't think uh, Mr. Eaton use the right photo reference because if you ever look at um, Stephen Colbert one of his ears sticks out more than the other one right and and it's and I was looking for that and I'm like well maybe it's supposed to be Clark Kent but it, it no it's it's, it's <laughs> obviously supposed to be Stephen Colbert and uh, but you know uh, that aside yeah they would have kicked his ass right out of there <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's a it's a great looking issue I, I love Peter David writing Spider-Man he he just I don't think anybody is can, can write this character like this. It's it's an unbelievable take on on Peter Parker, on Spider Man, and he's got the quips down. You know the sarcasm. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got everybody down. He's got the Vulture down. He's got Flash, even though apparently Flash recently had some memory issues. I I love it. I'm I'm going yeah. to I I have to go back and get all the issues of Friendly Neighborhood because I have most of them. I'm missing a couple here and there, but um. I really, really want to see more Scott Eaton on on Spider Man. Now that uh, hopefully they'll have uh, some some stories for him to do in uh, Spider Man Family, especially with Back in Black. should be interesting but i mean you know when it comes to writing through spidey scott eaton did a phenomenal job and and like i said the inks are great it's it was it was a great issue i'm enjoying the whole um spider-man unmasked story the first issue issue 14 was a little maybe maybe a little slow going you had an appearance by beast of x-men fame who um who peter parker contacted because he wants to um kind of change his appearance since everybody knows who who spider-man is and this was a really this this moved this story arc along nicely. It was like I said, it's, it's a great looking, great looking story, well written story. I really do recommend Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man. I second that. Extremely versatile writer, Mister David. The guy can go from writing an extremely personal character like Peter Parker, switch gears to writing the sixteen oh two Fantastic Four, do something as dark as Fallen Angel. And he he can be extremely funny when he wants to. He can be dead serious. From what I've seen in the many years that I've been reading his stuff, as you have too, you once you never know Peter David's bounds. Just when you think you got him figured out and you you know what to expect, he just throws a curveball and gives you something else and just shows another layer of his talent. The the guy is incredible, and I'm sure you'll agree. Absolutely agree. He can he can do futuristic sci-fi like 
Spidey 2099. X-Factor was probably some of the best Marvel comics ever written. The, yeah. the, the whole Doc Samson issue was just a landmark achievement. Uh, I'm, I've never been unimpressed with Peter David. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, even, even, when, you, um, even when he got his feet wet on Web of Spider-Man, and and the death of Gene DeWolf, and mm-hmm. hopefully that's not a spoiler for anybody. Um, <laughs> really, <laughs> no lie. Oh damn! That that was great. His his take on Hulk when 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 he uh, when he took over from I think it was Al Milgram. You don't you don't stay on a title for what ten twelve years if if you suck at it. Yeah, and I didn't even mention Hulk. You're right. How could I and, not mention Hulk? I mean, I'm I'm not reading Wonder Man, but that's probably because I'm not real thrilled with. Yeah. This version of Wonder Man, especially artistically, and that's—I mean—I'm not trying to, and I'm not—I'm not trying to be negative on on Mr. Curry. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm not—I'm not real thrilled with the way the book looks. So, I'll—I'll right. I'll probably get it in the collected edition. Um, but right now, this—that that wasn't a story that looked like it was going to move me. It'd be interesting, especially if it is. I don't know if it's real Civil War related or if it's just a Wonder Man miniseries. So doesn't look to be uh, too Civil War related. It doesn't. It yeah. doesn't. But unless maybe at the end of the uh, at the end of the series, he gets rid of the the, the black outfit and goes back to his uh, his safari jacket, which we'll talk more about in our previous episode. <laughs> but uh, you do like that safari jacket, don't I you? I really do. That is because it's it's. It's it's a superhero outfit. That's not really a superhero outfit. Right. It's like it's you know, hey, I'm just like, gotta run out and let me grab my jacket. And I mean, it's red. I mean, that 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 kind of takes me out of it a little bit, but still. Yeah. But no, you're right. I mean, the Hulk, Spider Man, X Factor, Spidey 2099, it, it, Fallen Angel, Young he, Justice. He wrote he wrote the entire Young Justice. He um, he wrote Aquaman for a while. I mean, you're right. He's uh, he's he, he writes novels. He's done screenplays. And he's he is a, he's a very versatile, very versatile writer, and he really doesn't work with slouches. No, now, he's he's worked with Larry Stroman. He's worked with Quesada. He's worked with with uh, with Scott Eaton. Now he's working with um, uh, Rick Leonardi. Rick Leonardi, um, Dale Keown, Gary Frank, Todd McFarlane. You know, I mean, it just yeah. It, that that last one didn't turn out too well. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know what? For a, for for an artist, he makes some great action figures. I understand. I think, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've I, like I said, I've never walked walked away from a Peter David book not feeling completely satisfied. Yeah. Absolutely. And what uh, what? Have, oh, you already uh, you already hinted at what uh, what you're planning on talking about. That's right. I'm going to talk about Essential Defenders number two. Knock yourself out. Which contains. Defenders number fifteen to thirty, Giant Size Defenders one to four, Marvel two and one number six and seven, Marvel Team Up number thirty three to thirty five, and Marvel Treasury Edition number twelve. That's a lot of reading for sixteen ninety nine. I think this is one of the thicker essential books I've picked up. Now for the uninitiated into the wacky world of the Defenders, this is not necessarily a team that resembles the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. In fact, within the very magazines in which they appear, they're quoted as the non-team. They they don't usually stay together. They they they're they're brought together by forces uh, most of the time beyond their control and there is a core group, but uh there are heroes satellite heroes that join them from time to time and then they leave and but uh, the the core group of the defenders are Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 
Prince Namor, the Submariner, or as we called him when we were kids, the Submariner, and uh, the Wild Card, which is the Incredible Hulk. And they've been joined by, uh, in this volume, Nighthawk, a reformed villain from the Squadron Sinister, uh, Valkyrie, Silver Surfer pops up in this book, uh, and they're also joined by Luke Cage and Daredevil and Son of Satan, but uh, the core members are usually the trio of Namor, Strange, and the Hulk. And I have to be honest with you, the early issues are a little bit hard to get through. They, really? Yeah, Len Wein wrote them, and it's it's that that real tenuous period between the Silver Age and the Bronze when they were still stuck in the thick exposition phase and very detailed captions as to what's going on, oftentimes unnecessary captions. You could tell what's going on by looking at the, the panel, but and every character comments on everything that's going on, and you, you, there's no breathing space in it. it, it it's just this machine gun attack of, of, of words and images. And a lot of times I lost my train of thought. And it was all, <laughs> you know, A to B to C to D. It was just plotted in a, in a linear fashion. And there wasn't very much experimentation. But all in all, the, it's brief. I mean, I think Len Wein only wrote Defenders 15 to 19. So it's really not a big chunk of the book. The the lion's share of this volume was written by Steve Gerber. Naturally. Yes, and talk about night and day. I mean, in in the Len Wein issues, he they fight Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and uh Alpha the Ultimate Mutant. We get the first appearance of the Wrecking Crew with oh, wow. yeah, and a, a little guest appearance by Luke Cage. Um Sweet Christmas. You also get a Tony Isabella penned Giant Size Defenders number one that he wow. he did in tandem with Jim Starlin. Nice. Yes. It, it's a decent issue. The, the new kid on the block, Valkyrie, wanted to better understand her teammates and the Defenders. So the issue features reprint segments from Hulk number three, where Thunderbolt Ross gets this bright idea to shoot the Hulk into space and get him out of his hair. Uh, I, I, where have you heard that before? Um, you get a, a a little snippet from Strange Tales 145 and a Bill Everett Submariner Ooh. piece. So you know, as as in that's Roy Thomas saying, "Hey, let's do a little flashback story. We can use some old stuff and save money." And <laughs> what what better? Yeah, what better to do it in a giant size issue? But um, like I said, the book really starts jumping when Steve Gerber gets the title with issue number twenty, and most of Gerber's run focuses on Barbara Denton, the Valkyrie, and her lack of identity. And after I read it and put it into place chronologically from when these things came out, like this is 1975, Barbie Benton was huge in, in, the, in the mid-70s. She was Hefner's girlfriend. I'm sure you've seen her on uh, like Love Boat and uh, in Playboy. And I'm wondering if Barbara Denton isn't a takeoff on Barbie Benton. That's just me thinking out loud um <laughs> but like i said the early issues real tough to get through i would spend more time wondering if valkyrie's costume was cut out around the breasts inside the metal 
cups that she wears or just like and then i'd have to read the page two or three times to see where it was go i would lose track it it's it it's not boring but it's it's the same old same old okay but but once 20 hits the i mean gerber kicked it up a couple notches now most of gerber's early defender stuff focuses on barbie denton's lack of identity and what that means is it goes all the way back to essential defenders number one it's a very convoluted uh story as is most of the the bronze age stuff the the origin of defenders hinges on a statue of the nameless one that's what brought them all together and the nameless one's dimension and our dimension are separated by a dimension ruled by this nightcrawler character a character that has absolutely nothing to do with Kurt Wagner, no connection to that character at all. So Barbie Denton was an acolyte in Van Nyborg's cult, and they wanted to bring the Nameless One and the Undying Ones over to our dimension. And it, they could only do it once a millennia. Once a millennium? Once a millennia. When the stars were perfectly aligned. You know, one of those type of deals. So what they did was they kidnapped Bruce Banner in I think it was Hulk 126 and they used him to defeat the Nightcrawler but that didn't turn out the way they planned because Barbie Denton had second thoughts she felt bad for tricking Bruce Banner and she sacrificed herself in the Nightcrawler's dimension to free Doctor Strange who was stuck in the Undying Ones slash Nameless Ones Dimension in Submariner number 22. See how it gets convoluted? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it, it was jumping between Submariner, Hulk, Doctor Strange, just like the early issues of the Defenders. And you can read all this in Essential Defenders number one. So Barbie Denton switched places with Doctor Strange so he can come back to our dimension. So she's trapped in there, and she eventually made it with the nameless one and she went crazy she went mad and that's when the enchantress stepped into the picture and she used denton's physical form to house the asgardian brunhilde which whose personality overlaid denton's personality so after everything said and done barbie denton doesn't know who she is where she comes from she has no idea of her past and that's basically the whole beginning of gerber's run just trying to find out She's seeking her identity, and that takes place in Marvel 2 and 1, 6, and 7, where the Thing and Doctor Strange find this this harmonica of destiny. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's a harmonica, and, and whenever this entity blew it, those in contact with it, their, their destinies would be changed, and it just so happens that Alvin Denton, which was Barbie Denton's real father. He was a, a, uh, a street person. He got hit by one of the sparks from the, the harmonica, which drew the thing into it, and Doctor Strange, and they found out that this guy was her father, and they traced it back to her hometown, but nothing, and they find out that eventually she's married, but she, she knows nothing about her, pre- her, her previous life. So early issues flesh out Barbie Denton's character. Then we get... The Squadron Sinister pop up, 
in Giant Size Number Four because of the Kyle Richmond Nighthawk um, connection. Nighthawk is now one of the defenders, and he was once a member of the Squadron Sinister. So you get that little brouhaha. And as I was reading this volume, I was amazed at the uh, religious and racial overtones that are in in this work, and they they really come to a boil in Gerber's work. But even Jerry Conway's issues, he wrote Marvel Team Up uh, 33, Spidey and Nighthawk 34, Spidey and the Valkyrie, and 35, which is one of those rare Marvel Team Ups that didn't feature Spider-Man. It uh, features Doctor Strange and the Human Torch. Um, uh, These three issues lead up to this Jeremiah story he he claims to be the last true prophet of the lord he he goes around brainwashing these kids to do his bidding and everything but it, it's minor compared to what gerber did uh in defenders 22 to 25 that's the sons of the serpent saga mm-hmm. the defenders are joined by luke cage son of satan and daredevil now all of these characters with the exception of luke cage were currently written by Steve Gerber at the time. He was writing Damon Hellstrom, the son of Satan's adventures in Marvel Spotlight. He was writing Daredevil, and he was writing The Defenders. He was also writing Man-Thing and Marvel 2-in-1 and stuff for the black and white magazines. Pretty much in the same window, all of these books. And uh, it was crazy, his output uh, during this period. But the Sons of the Serpent were these white supremacists who wanted to drive the minorities out of America like the serpent drove Adam and Eve out of Eden. Now, this, this is uh, crazy. A precursor to his all-text issue of Howard the Duck, number 16, I believe it was, Gerber uses text pages in, in this issue to uh, hash out the uh, plan of the serpent supreme. Now, listen to this. You would never hear this today. He says, my fellow Americans, I come to you at a time when our nation stands at the crossroads of its destiny. Um, The Serpent Supreme continues, our United States are plagued tonight by enemies which cannot be seen, cannot be touched, but which touch upon our lives in very visible ways. Inflation, unemployment, recession, the average American is shocked by the high cost of food and gasoline. This could be published today. (laughs) <laughs> You're right. Uh, he lives in fear of us- losing his job. He is afraid to save his money and afraid to spend it. And he is asked to cut back while the government lavishes billions of dollars annually on those who are too lazy to work. Malcontents who think this nation owes them a living. Persons who by their very presence in this nation threaten the well-being of the majority, the white majority. Who are these parasites who would steal the bread and butter from the mouths of white children? Who would take your job away from you? You know them. They're the neighbors you prayed you'd never have. They're black, red, brown, or yellow of skin. They worship at something called a synagogue instead of an American church. They speak behind your back in a foreign tongue. They are the so-called minorities who rule our nation like tyrants and dictators because our Congress and our courts and the media haven't the courage to refuse them a favor. We intend to drive these leeches into the seas and rivers or drown them in their own blood, if need be. And we call upon every good American, every member of the oppressed white race to join us. Tonight heralds the coming of the sons of the serpent. 
No longer the naive tool of ambitious politicians or media magnates, but a nationwide army of common men, white men like yourselves, who stand pledged to wipe out a menace that grows like a cancer in the heart of this great land. And he's standing there at the podium, and the uh, the sons of the serpents are standing behind him with guns raised in the air, and he has the don't tread on me flag behind him with the snake on it. You know, these wackos definitely laid the groundwork for what was to come later in G.I. Joe with uh, Cobra. It's, it's just it's brilliant stuff. And never in a million years would that make it through today. Can you imagine the stink if, if Marvel published something like that? That's, that's crazy. And it's just in uh, it's, it's so over the edge that I don't know. And it makes me feel a little bit. It saddens me to think that. Our country hasn't progressed. We've actually gone backwards since then. Because if that was yeah. deemed okay, you know, if that passed muster, even with the comics code in the seventies, and and today it would be like it would be verboten to put that in a comic. We've really gone backwards when you think about it. Absolutely. So we need to do a lot more work in this country on religious and racial intolerance but that's that's gerber's talent he on the surface will give you a, a very entertaining superhero tale uh the standard power fantasies and if you are willing to do a little bit of digging you get so much more he reveals these themes that aren't usually seen in a mainstream superhero title and he gives you something to think about He's like a, a maggot. He he burrows under this skin and he 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 you know releases all this festering conflict that that uh, very few writers of the time did as successfully as he did, in my opinion. But uh, I mean, so that's in here. You also get the Guardians of the Galaxy saga. Oh yeah, uh, and you know, whenever the Guardians pop up, I'm just like, it was like a pig and shit. Uh, it started in Giant Size Defenders number five, and trailed through Defenders twenty six to twenty nine. You witness the intro of Starhawk and Vance Astro, who meets himself as a child, which paved the way for that whole Marvel Boy and Justice thing. Remember that? That of course. <laughs> that that one little. Um, gray area we had a couple of podcasts back uh-huh <laughs> but um again gerber uses the female badoon there's a, a part in the in the story where one of the badoon scientists intercepts the transporter beam that that's sending the defenders down to the the planet and it splits it and Valkyrie is sent to a planet with Vance Astro, and, and Hulk is sent to another planet with Yondu, and Gerber uses the female Badoon. Initially, Valkyrie and Vance Astro attack them because they're Badoon. I mean, they're the enemy. So they, they, they come to blows, and it turns out that the Badoon women are nothing like the Badoon men. They're peaceful, rational beings, and it, once again, it's Gerber using... Um, the conflict there is a, to pen this cautionary tale that illustrates, you know, the error of judging an entire race based on the misdeeds of a few members. It's something that we do today, you know, you see a couple of uh, malcontents act in a way that's morally unacceptable, and all of a sudden the whole entire race does that, you know. So it, it's just Gerber doing what he does best, and it's really cool. The Hulk and Yandu 
end up on this planet where the populace is kept inebriated by the people in charge and they they're pacified by this television show called the super death sweepstakes where the viewers get to pick in the manner in which the contestants are are killed and if they survive will they go on to another round <laughs> it's, it's at one time hokey and it's amazingly fresh once again gerber with the social commentary uh, even today a large segment of the population is numbed by television and just the influence that television has on the people and you could there's a, a whole lot to say about in less prosperous areas uh, there's a, always a liquor store on every corner and you know that's another way uh, Gerber manages to give you something extra for your uh, at that time I guess 25 cents but uh, that's cool the, the uh, I wanted to ask being that there's a uh, a treasury edition reprinted in here is um, ha- treasury editions were always larger comic books mm-hmm. were um did did it lose anything shrinking down to the essentials size? There is a lot of white space at the bottom of the page because the proportions of the treasury were different than right. the proportions of. But um, no, if anything, it get it got a little tighter, and I, you can guess what treasury edition it reprints. Right now, no. Gerber's at the controls, so it, it it's the Howard the Duck. It's the Defender story from the Howard the Duck treasury edition. I need to find a listing of of all the treasury editions that there were. And in in typical Gerber fashion, it is an asinine, just ridiculous story that I'm just going to let those who um, are interested enough about this volume to seek it out. I'm not going to ruin it. It, it, It's really neat. In one point, um, Howard dons the uh, Doctor Strange's cloak. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's just, it's totally <laughs> stupid, but man, is it fun. And that's another thing you could say about Steve Gerber. While he had the ability to wield that pen like a sword and show you um, things that were wrong with society and human beings in general, uh, he could also tickle you with it and write some really, really funny stuff. And it was always exceptionally well written and just just a whole lot of fun and uh, I totally pissed my wife off while I was reading this book because uh, you know once you read 600 pages of Doctor Strange you kind of pick up on the the vocal mannerisms of of them and I'm walking around the house going eyes of Ashtar where are my keys you know (laughs) praise the Vishanti I've found them and and after a while she's just like would you please shut up oh damn 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 but yes after the Howard the Duck trade and the Man-Thing Essential, I would recommend those interested in the Bronze Age Marvel seek out the Essential Defenders. Both volumes are are really good. The second is much better than the first, but the first is no slouch either. It's, it's, it's uh, mostly done by... Um, y- there's a lot of Steve Englehart in it. There's a lot of Len Wein. The, uh, the, the Treasury Edition is number 12. Yes. That's, pretty neat, uh, that's a neat Gene Collin cover. Oh, yeah. And one of my New Year's resolutions was to focus more on the writers than I have in the past. So oh, okay. I, I think I fulfilled that with this uh, Essential Defenders. But in terms of the art, you get a heap and helping of Sal Basima. 
and that is always a good thing in my book. Yes, yes it is. Inked by a number of people. Um, Jim Mooney, Vince Coletta, all right, so it's not always the best. <laughs> Jack Abel, Bob McLeod. Oh. Frank Giacqua, John Tartaglioni. Um, there's some Klaus Jansen in here. Not too shabby You can't, no, you can't beat that. You get a Jim Starlin story early on that, uh, you know, that when the Grandmaster shows up, I have yet to read a Grandmaster story that didn't remind me of that Star Trek episode where Kirk fought the Gorn, the arena episode. It, they, they always pan out the same way. You know, the, the heroes are at a disadvantage, and they somehow manage to pull it out at the end. It's the same thing every, every time they, they throw the Grandmaster into it. But it's pretty. It looks really good because, you know, even back then, Starlin was, was really sharp. And he, he plays with the page layout a little bit, as Starlin tends to do. And it's just incredibly kinetic and moody. And I, I don't think anyone drew Clea better than Starlin. She was one sexy, sexy woman. Because she's basically naked. I mean, when you see it in black and white, if not for the collar, you know, she, from, from, the, from the neck to her waist, she looks naked, yeah. which is really cool. Um, <laughs> I, they, they named this series, it's the perfect name because this is an essential read for anyone who, who wants to, you know, learn more about the, uh, the more off-kilter side of the Marvel Universe. That's my pick of the month for December. Essential Defenders Volume Two. Grab it. It's great. That's that that that's cool. Sal Basima, one of the unsung heroes of the of the Marvel Bullpen. Another one of those talents who could draw anything, do it well, get it out on time, have he has an instantly recognizable style. It it may not be the most flashy or, or stylistic of uh renderings, but when when again when Sal drew something you knew it. And uh, he had a good run on Thor and Spectacular Spider-Man, Defenders. Yeah. I don't think there's anything the guy hasn't drawn. No, he's pretty much, yeah. No, he's, he's yeah. I think there hasn't been any ROM. Yes. In terms of style, night and day between him and his brother. Yes, yes, indeed. John was John more... Bridget. An, an, an anatomical master. Yeah, more on the pulpy side, more lar more of the grand, the grandois kind of god figures like Conan and and Thor. But Sal compared very favorably to his brother. I mean, there wasn't too many that characters that Sal didn't leave a lasting impression on. So, right there, you go. Pick it up. That's all I'm gonna and say how, about that. How uh, how how I propose that. Uh, that you're talking about a collected edition, and uh, and we are going to be bringing you a conversation about collected editions. That's right, and I think I mentioned in there that I don't think the Defenders books were good for a new Marvel right. Marvel convert, and they're yes, really they're really not. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of back. Like just try to explain the origins of the Valkyrie to a new Marvel reader. They'd be like, oh. I don't want to read that. I mean, it's like I said, it's very convoluted. And a new person coming into the Marvel Universe, I think it would turn them off. But somewhere down the line, these are must-buys, essential defenders. So before we wear out our welcome, let's hear a little bit from Kevin and Rick. And we'll be back after this to uh, send you away. 
Hi there, this is Scott Seaver from Wednesday's Hall. If they bring back Marvel in Civil War The Return, I'm going to rip up my copy of Death of Captain Marvel. Wait a minute. No, I can't do that. That's too good of a book. I'll have to do something like, hey, if they bring Mar Captain Marvel back, I'll rip up my copy of Identity Disc. We have a very special pair of guests in the studio with us tonight. In this corner, you know him as the voice of the Pop Cult Online podcast, the man I pinned to the canvas in, oh, it was less than 60 seconds, Mr. <laughs> Rick Gordon. Hello, hello. I'm not wearing any trousers. Excellent. <laughs> and in the other corner, you've heard him many, many times on the granddaddy of all comics podcast, the Comics Geek Speak. He's a father, a colorist supreme, and at night, when everyone goes to sleep, he roams the streets as the fist of Conchu himself. It's Mr. Moon Knight, Kevin Moyer. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hello. And we have a, a little special episode planned for tonight. We got an email from Hannah, who wanted to know how to get into the Marvel Universe. She's a, a big DC fan, and... She's ready to graduate? Yeah, she's at a, <laughs> she's at a loss as to how to jump into this years of continuity. So David and I figured, hey, who are the two best guys to help us out with this? And we, you know, Kevin and Rick, you, you got to love them. Long time. Ooh, 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 Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter. <laughs> <laughs> two, two long time Marvel readers and just great, great talents of the podcast world. We've all come together to solve Hannah's problem. We've banded together. That's very nice. Thank you, Vince. Any anybody I can get away from the the uh, dastardly competition, I'll do it. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so how's everybody doing? I'm doing okay. Fine. Yeah, just uh, fabulous. Just fabulous. All the Christmas shopping completed? Heck no. Nah, same here. Why That's do that? Items. <laughs> we I, I ran home from work today, got the kids fed and everything, and, and my wife decided it was a good night to put up the Christmas tree. So literally a half hour ago, I put that last branch in, and it's just this time of year is crazy. Yeah. But I do look forward to one thing every year. My wife has a little manger set that she likes to put up, and every year I swap the baby Jesus out, and I put a little gray alien. In, <laughs> and, nice. And, and I'll tell you, there is no end to the amount of people I can piss off by doing that. <laughs> Next year you should try Modoc. There you go. Oh, yeah. So I can, I can piss off David, too. <laughs> Man, you know, it's, it's not my house. <laughs> So uh, let's persevere, get into this. Um, I'll start by uh, reading Hannah's letter, and at various points we can unstop and you know flesh out our little choices and keep going. She's, um, she hasn't been that much into Marvel, but, and she needs some guidance. Uh, her first question is, give me one or two essential books for all the major Marvel characters and teams, Spider-Man, X-Men, Punisher, Fantastic Four, etc. Wow. Now, I, I think when you approach something like this, you have to take a few things into consideration, and the first of which is budget. How much yeah. money are you looking to sink into this? Because you, depending on, on your budget, you can go a bunch of different ways. You can go high-end with the Masterworks, or you can go the economy route with the Essentials. So I think we should provide maybe a couple options for her as we do this. That makes sense. It's a good idea because I mean, it, and also you have to look at availability too. 
Right. Um, and that's and yeah, and that, that's something I was looking at, Kevin, because at well, initially, I um, for whatever reason, I, I, old ha- well habit now. Anytime I see the word essential, I just automatically just think of Marvel's essential trade paperback line. So even though she wants to know some essential books for certain characters and teams in the Marvel Universe, I read that as essentials. So I was looking at it from the budget point of view, but while I was looking up some links, because we'll be, um, we'll probably also post the uh, our responses on the forum, so I was making sure that they were available through Amazon and, and places like that. So like Kevin said, looking at availability, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to, because um, I, I wanted to recommend the Essential Marvel two in one volume one, but that's that's out of print right now. Hmm. Is it really? Uh, according to Amazon, it is. Wow. wow. There's always eBay. That's yes, true. There is. That's true. true. But then, that's but then again, true. you might you might be. I mean, uh, do you just go a few extra bucks then and just buy all 100 issues and the assorted annuals for Marvel two in one? Well, I mean, I've seen options for that. Like it, it, again, it, it all is a personal preference. I mean, like I said, if you want to collect. Then go after the issues. If you want to read and get introduced to the universe, and then take it from there, then go after the collected editions, the things that are less expensive and also more readily available. And then you always you have to consider: Are is she seeking a foundation in Marvel history with the classics, or is she talking more current events? Then there's another two paths you can take. Sure, two very different paths, really. Absolutely. But in my opinion, there's no better value for the dollar than the essential line. Close to 600 pages for 16.95, and even less if you order through a, a subscription uh, service that offers a discount. They're, they're the for your bang for your buck. You can't do better. No. You sir are wrong. Really? There, there is a better way. I know what you're going to say, and I want to leave that for last. Okay. <laughs> well, but uh, are you going to say the DVD-ROMs? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> and and I agree with you. that That's one hell of a way to get caught up. But uh, I thought we'd stick that in at the end as a, as a but wait. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Th- there is another way. So um, I think we should start with the team that, ushered in the Marvel Universe, and that's the Fantastic Four. In order to understand the Marvel Universe, you need to be grounded in the genius that was Jack Kirby. Very true. And there are, there's no better way to sink yourself in the Fantastic Four than to pick up the first two essentials. Because I don't want to say Jack was shaky on the first one, but his style didn't really develop on that book till about issue maybe 30. That's when it. That's when he hit his stride, and he he uh, honed in on that that special something that he wanted to do with that. And then from there, from thirty to a hundred, it's just a roller coaster ride. Even Stan's uh, characterizations didn't uh, hit stride until like you know, like into the into the twenties, you know, late teens into the twenties of, of FF. Right. Uh, I remember going back and reading the first essentials and after reading the first 10 12 issues I was like my god you know like the thing was just this angry guy the whole every issue and it was getting kind of tiresome and such but uh once he started bringing it all around and like you said next thing you know Jack brings the art and and just makes the complete package and from there on it was just a skyrocket I really envy someone who is experiencing Jack's work for the first time to have volumes and volumes and volumes of the most brilliant comics ever created 
at their beck and call, just to jump in there, and it, it's it's an incredible thing. Uh, the guy turned me on my head as a kid, and I can imagine what he he did to you guys. But um, uh, along those lines, you were witnessing Jack working on the Fantastic Four as he was working on it, and then he you saw him grow as an artist even after Marvel got its got its footing, and then he went to the other guys, and then he came back. So, so you saw you saw Jack's career as a whole and then you saw other you, you got to see other artists emulate his style or learn from him and make it work in their comic books in this case if Hannah were to go back and look at Jack's Fantastic Four work or his Captain America work or his, his Avengers work she'd be able to see what the artists of today where they got their inspiration from in, in reverse because I, I you could read Fantastic Four the end and some of those machines that that Reed's working with and on are, are, are very heavily influenced by by Kirby right uh, he's the Beatles of the comic book world I, I I don't think there's an artist working today that doesn't owe a huge debt to the to Jack's work I'd agree with that they could pussyfoot around it and claim otherwise but you know know your roots and that's where it all comes from the man single-handedly changed the american comic book true true but i don't want to be the fly in the ointment but i've always felt that his best work was on thor that's mm. what synced it for me that's what really did it i loved this fantastic four but i loved thor exponentially more strictly because of the artwork and that almost seems to be thor sometimes just seems to be like an afterthought when 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 you always hear the works of Kirby, you don't hear Thor as much as you hear Fantastic. Well, naturally, Fantastic Four, but the Avengers or the Hulk and and Captain America, you Thor's almost forgotten about. And then someone's like, "Hey, what about Thor?" Well, when you look at those old Thors and compare them to the Fantastic Four, the Fantastic Four were humans, and they had human existence. You had the Baxter Building, which was fantastic in itself, but they were basically average humans with the exception of the thing. You look at the Thor stories and they're all gods. Mm-hmm. The the Tales of Asgard, Jack got oh, the Jack wait. yeah, he got the opportunity to draw everyone in fantastic costumes, massively proportioned and gorgeous and handsome gods. Their 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 tools and their their vehicles were um, the the typical Kirby-esque, you know, larger-than-life vehicles and stuff. So Jack really got... It was like they took the leash off on Thor. That's what Jack did the best. I think his experience from uh, the romance books, which I have a huge romance collection, I hate to admit. Big soft. that really... Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the work he did with the romance books really shone through with the FF. Yep. Sue was one gorgeous girl from the get-go. And uh, as much as I love Jack's work, that was Jack's... Yeah. That was the weak link, was his females. I, I can't say Barda was all that attractive, but he <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he really managed to uh, put the spin on Sue. And she was just gorgeous right from the, the first issue. But yeah, uh, Jack's... Ro- and he pioneered the romance comic, too. Yes, he did. So, uh, again, every every book... Every genre owes something to Jack Kirby, and that's where I think that's where Hannah should start. She should pick up the first volume of the Essential Fantastic Four and ease into it. Read read that, and if that's to her liking, then she has the the whole Marvel universe to to conquer. If you don't like that first volume of Essential Fantastic Four, I really don't think Marvel is for you because it's all based on that. 
Well, I mean, I, I could, I see your point, but I also look at it that you know you can, you know, you're you're using a team book there. You know that if she, if she doesn't get into the FF from reading the essential, my suggestion would be to go to uh, and try the first volume of the the Spider-Man essential. Um, oh yes. You know, I think I think that would then you know it, you're not dealing with teams and different characters. You're you're focused on one character, and uh, and it could be more relatable. Could be more uh, something that's more comfortable to read that way. That it's not so out there, uh, where the FF is such a fantasy world, um, and the exploration of the cosmos and and the negative zone and all that. Uh, where Spider-Man's more grounded in in the real world, so to speak, and I think. That if for some reason it doesn't sit well with her to read the FF, which I agree it, she should read um, and try first, but I, I would suggest going to to Spider Man after that and give that a shot. See, now this is the reason why Vince and I are going to have to throw down because oh. he always says that the, the FF or the flagship book of the Marvel line. <laughs> I vehemently disagree. You know, this, I'm, all, I'm always here to be in his place, Rick. This is <laughs> I'm I'm never going to live this down. I hear this all the time. The Fantastic Four is the flagship book. It is not. They, no, it it is, started. They, listen, it maybe started. They should be. <laughs> but they it are started, not. It started the Marvel Universe. It was the Big Bang. But Spider-Man is the book that delineated the universe and everything spread out from there. So there. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin sits quiet. Now, now the, um, to me, it's all good. So oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. There you go. But who yes, am yes. I to argue with the Commissioner of Gordon? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that one? Oh, long. <laughs> Uh, now, when we're ta- since we're talking about budgets and bang for bucks, I I, I also wrote down you know I've, since I was looking for Marvel two and one, naturally the first thing I thought about was Marvel team up because not only do you get Spidey, but you're going to get him interacting with another character or another team from the Marvel universe. So you may you may need I don't know how much you'd actually need to if 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 Spider Man teams up with the Falcon or he teams up with Moon Knight or he teams up with Captain Captain Britain's first appearance in the Marvel U was in an issue of, of Marvel team up. So I don't know how much background information and since these were Bronze Age Marvel comics, you got a lot of information on the character Spider Man was with just within a few panels or, or a few um a few captions or word balloons. So if if you want to get it I would think if you want to get a pretty good idea of some some early heroes of the Marvel universe, you, you you can you can definitely go the Marvel team up route, and, and you don't have to invest a lot either because no, they were no. generally you know done in one, right? You know, yeah, only only a few certain issues you know that they carried a storyline more than one or two issues, uh, and and so you can and, get a good feel for a new character teaming up with Spider-Man, that character even heard of that character, but you could still enjoy the story. And then also be intrigued by that character, possibly, and then explore the universe to see where that character's from or what their background is. And that's how I got started. I mean, Marvel Team Up was my book when I when I was a kid, and that's what right. got me into Spider-Man, and it went from there. So yeah. I couldn't believe that pair of issues where it crossed over into Marvel Two and One. Remember that? Oh, it, yeah. it, it was uh, <laughs> Spider-Man and the Thing, and then they fought the Basilisk, and then it jumped over yep. into two and one. It was like, whoa, this is cool. That but, was great. But uh, yeah, I think Marvel Team Up is a, is a good choice for the reasons that David said. You get a a, a nice little sampling of of all the heroes and and um, villains, but mostly you get a pretty good lockdown on the character of Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And despite what Derek says, 
about it being the, the, the <laughs> flagship <laughs> title. Um, I, I think the character of Peter Peter Parker is the heart and soul of the Marvel Universe. Oh, I have to agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, I, I think he's the most well-developed three-dimensional character in comics, and he's right to be at the center because he, he's the everyman. If you can identify with Peter Parker, it, it's all gold. I mean, who can't on some level? You right. know what I mean? Right. And I would say the spider villains are the most inventive villains of any Marvel book. I, I have to agree with you. Yeah. Even if you thought they might come off corny, they, they were threatening, and then at least they were threatening to Peter, which made them threatening to you. I mean, you know, I could laugh at, at the vulture, but, you know, he was, he was a mean old man. And, and the same thing with Dr. Octopus. Here comes some portly-looking, pudgy guy, but he's got four extra mechanical arms, and he's not really going to stop it too much to, to make sure he gets his way. Right. You going to laugh at the rocket racer? Oh, I love, <laughs> I love the rocket racer. He's yeah. awesome. The uh, big wheel, Will of the Wisp. Come on, Will of the Wisp is great. The uh, the ringmaster, yeah, kangaroo, the kangaroo, yeah, grizzly, <laughs> but <Bad> Mountain Marco. <laughs> oh, but, he wasn't too bad with uh, Silver Mane. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the molten man. <laughs> oh, that's gold. That's good stuff. The jackal, yeah, yeah. grizzly. But for how. The consummate skill of Jack as a designer was, I think, a little bit eclipsed by Steve Ditko. Those first thirty Ditko issues, where they th- he worked on it to right up to about thirty what thirty eight. Um, thirty eight was it? Thirty eight was the last Ditko issue. Oh, right. Okay. The, the villains. I don't know what he was. He must have been on some kind of supplement because he the the the, the Amazing Spider Man villains edge out the Fantastic Four villains just by a little bit, but they are so inventive and just so really well, uh, fully realized characters. Like David said, the Vulture and Doc Ock, they're just brilliant designs. And that's what really hooked me on the book was, on the one hand, I had Peter Parker who was like, hey, I could understand this kid. He, he's, he's very real to me. And then you had these outlandish villains that were just so, I mean, what's not cool about Dr. Octopus? Right. It, even, good. well, <laughs> at the, at that time, <laughs> uh, that's true. You know, you had villains like, and, and you know, the lizard was never a favorite of mine, but yet, you know, you had a different approach because here is this this villain who could be like murderous, you know, savage, but yet, you know, Peter had to hold back with fighting because he knew it was his friend Kirk Connor. So, you know, they, they always threw extra dynamics into it. It wasn't just mm-hmm. so cut and dry, black and white with these... Well, even with the Green Goblin, the same thing. Yep. It's his my, best friend's father. So that know. was something that... Perspective. My, yeah. my enemy is my friend. So, I mean, my uncle, my enemy. That, true. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And we, and I, and, and we can... It, it'll be a totally different episode if we ever got into this, but I'd love to get everybody's um, ideas on whether or not Steve, they feel Steve was right or they feel Stan was right in letting everybody know who Green Goblin really was. Yeah, we should save that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe, the, um, maybe Hannah should pick up that volume and decide for herself. That'd be really cool. That's a good idea. Yeah. And and um, actually, I, courtesy of um, Chris Marshall at Collected Comics Library, I do have the uh, the essentials checklist. So if anybody knows what number Green Goblin reveals his identity... That was in uh, 39, 39 and 40. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so that would be in the uh, volume two of Amazing Spider-Man Essentials. Yeah. Classic issues. You bet. 
brilliant yeah. stuff. Now, um, mm-hmm. if we do have, and I do actually, I do have the Mighty Thor for the Essentials down. I mentioned that Vince will probably talk about the Defenders because talking about getting bang for your buck. Oh. Um, but I do have a side, and, and since she mentioned the Punisher, I just finished uh, a couple weeks back, I finished the Essential Volume 1 of the Punisher, and that, I can't wait for that to continue because I remember those those issues from the 80s by by uh, by Chuck Dixon, by Mike Barron, by, um, by, by Klaus Jansen, and the first volume, we have all the appearances that he had in, in Amazing Spider-Man and, and a couple of issues from Daredevil and and his Captain America appearance and the um, the five issue mini from the eighties that was a fun read. I enjoyed. Not only did I enjoy seeing the different art styles and and the Marvel was always great because you always knew what year it was, whatever comic book you're reading, because everybody was always dressed for the fashion at the time. Yes, yeah, and there were always references yeah. to whatever current events were going on. Yes, but if um, after everybody's done with their essentials, I do I did write down a couple of what I think would be essential stories featuring some Marvel characters, and I'm sure there are a couple that, that um, everybody would recommend, but I'd, I'd be curious to know what uh, what everybody's thoughts are on essential Marvel stories, whether they, they be focusing on characters or, or, or events or anything like that. Yeah, well, that's that's somewhat down the list, right? Well, yeah, see, well, the numbering was a little off, because if you read the first, if you read the first question again... It's essential books. So I did. I did jot down some trades that I would think would be essential reading. But then, but then, yeah, one of the other questions is, what do you, what do you think are essential to one's collection? And and I, I kind of see those as two different. Right. <laughs> Hello, friends of the Bullpen Bulletins podcast. My name is Chris, and I am the host of the Collected Comics Library podcast, a show all about trade paperbacks, hardcovers, and all sorts of reprint comic book collected editions. Vince and David wanted me to come on the show tonight and help out with an email they received. Now, I think the email came from a listener, Hannah, and if I'm correct, this is the same Hannah that's a big Red Wing hockey fan. And myself, being from Detroit, I'll do my best not to disappoint her. Question number one. Give me one or two essential books for all the major Marvel characters and teams. For example, Spider-Man, X-Men, Punisher, Fantastic Four, etc., now, this is somewhat of a loaded question, only because, as of right now, including the 14 essentials that we know are coming out in 2007, we now have a total of 89 Marvel essentials on the market. So my answer is pretty generic. There is basically something for everybody. Obviously, there are plenty of first-tier character books like Spider-Man, X-Men, Wolverine, Fantastic Four, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, The Avengers, and second- and third-tier characters like She-Hulk, Spider-Woman, Ant-Man, Ghost Rider, And hell, even Dazzler is going to be getting her own essential later on in the year. But also keep in mind, there are even horror essentials and the team-up books, like the essential team-up and villains team-up and Marvel 2-in-1. And to learn all about the great characters, don't forget all five Marvel Universe handbooks. Question number two, what books do you think are essential to one's collection? Again, this is pretty generic. And so I'll give you the regular answers. You gotta have Crisis on Infinite Earths. You gotta have a copy of Watchmen. You gotta have a copy of Dark Knight Returns. Kurt Busiek's Marvels. And one of my all-time favorite uh, limited series runs is Marvel Secret Wars. I'm sure there are a lot more books, and Vince and David can elaborate more on that. But uh, this will keep you going for the time being. And this is always a fun debate too. Number three, what are some big Marvel events I should read? Well, of course, the aforementioned Secret Wars. The Infinity books also are pretty good. The Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity Crusade, Infinity Abyss, and only uh, the Crusade has not been collected. 
but I'm willing to bet that'll change, you know, the next year or two. Number four, what non-mainstream books would you recommend? This is a toughie, but the collected editions that I do recommend are The Complete Art Spiegelman's Mouse, Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and Kurt Busiek's Astro City. Again, that's just to name a few. Number five, I'm really enjoying the Ultimate Fantastic Four, collecting them in trades. What other Fantastic Four books should I pick up? Well, this is a good question because with the movie coming up this summer, you'll want to get your hands on a lot of Fantastic Four. Of course, there's always the Marvel Masterworks and the Essentials, but I would also highly recommend the Fantastic Four Omnibus that collects issues 1 through 30 and annual number 1, as well as a bunch of other stuff. It's the best reproduction you're going to find of these classic Lee Kirby books, and it's truly worth every penny. The Visionary books are also great, as well as Jim Lee's Heroes Reborn. Call me crazy, but I actually like it. Please, whatever you do, just stay away from the debacle, which is Maximum Fantastic Four. If you're not familiar with it, it's a high-resolution coffee table book of Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four issue number one. After picking it up at the bookstore, I wasn't exactly sure what it was supposed to be, and honestly, I still don't know. We all know that Kirby is king, but this book goes over the edge by a few feet. To me, it's a graphical exposition of Fantastic Four number one, panel by panel, and it's just too much, especially for the money. See, now I have you all intrigued, and you're probably going to go out and buy it, but I'm telling you, save your money and... Go pick up the Omnibus instead. Number six, I've really never been able to get into the Hulk. Of course, I've never tried either. What's one Hulk book that I should pick up that might be able to get me into Hulk? Well, the number one place to start, of course, is with Peter David's run on the Hulk. But also a must-have are the Essentials, which, of course, reprint all the early stories. Another cool story is Hulk Gray by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And I think that'll get you started. So, Vince and David, that'll about do it for me tonight. Thank you very much for letting me come on your show. And to learn more about my show and collected editions, please come by and visit my forum at Comic Geek Speak and my homepage at CollectedComicsLibrary.com. Take care, guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Uh, just to get back to the Defenders for a yes. second, because yep. you know I have a soft spot for that. I, that's one book I would definitely not recommend her read because okay. uh, you need to be versed in the mainstays of the Marvel Universe, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, X-Men. For her to jump into the Defenders, I'm, Steve Gerber would chew her up and spit her out. She, there's, too many, uh, there's too much continuity in the Defenders. There's too many wacky concepts that require you to know prior histories, and it's just, no, that, that would not be a good choice. It's a great book. Once she gets into the Marvel Universe, maybe in a couple, you know, couple of years fine pick it up but i i think that would befuddle the average reader okay yeah i wanted to throw in there too as far as essentials go um and i don't mean to subjectively for gender wise but also i mean there i was going to say too about maybe a female character or, or i know the miss marvel's coming out in february you know those books so it's something that is a female character as well that maybe would help her uh, be more relatable or something that might help her right. be more interested uh, the, as well in addition to Ms. Marvel's a very good choice Spider-Woman uh, yep Spider and, and uh, Vince picked up the uh, Vince won the uh, Savage She-Hulk volume 1 at the CGS 200 that would be a good choice too a uh, little bit different than the classics so that may throw her I think the uh, well maybe not because Ms. Marvel was a pretty strange book too yeah, it got kind of cosmic. That's why I suggested Spider Woman because it's more. That's kind of like a little has a little bit of the f- edge of supernatural in it. Um, mm-hmm. 
but it's still kind of grounded, you know, somewhat. Um, and it's different than Spider-Man. You know, I, I want to try to associate with her when they don't understand the character, but Jessica Drew's Spider-Woman is a, a completely different animal. Um, it's not just a Spider-Man rip-off uh, or knock-off. So right. I would suggest the, the Jessica Drew Spider-Woman. I think that might be something that won't really knock her too far. That would, that would you know, push her in the wrong direction. Right. I think it's something that might assist her. And in doing so, she'll get a pretty good feel for the various organizations that work within the Marvel Universe. Yes. You, you can't experience Spider-Woman without picking up a little bit of S.H.I.E.L.D. history. S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra. And AIM. and Yeah, that'd be a good choice. Excellent choice, Kevin. Thank you. And she's hot. Yeah. Well, hell. <laughs> why do you think I bought it? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the books that really uh, thrilled me when it came out was The Man Called Nova. Yes, I th- nice, I yeah. think that's a really special title. Not only is it accessible because he's Richard Ryder's pretty much Peter Parker in in a in a spacesuit. He had the same problems Peter had. You had a, a supporting cast of characters that pretty much mirrored what was going on in in the Spider-Man books. He had the the love interest and the the whole school atmosphere. But again, the really cool villains. In uh, the Nova book, like oh, yeah. like the Sphinx and Sphinx. Diamond Head, it's just if you if you like science fiction, Nova's the way to go, and I, you get the same vibe as the the Spider Man books. I'd agree with that. I know this is coming from way out in left field, but what about the Origin books? Oh yeah, are they still in print? Oh no, no, but I, no. it should be fairly easily found on eBay or other places. You know, Origin, Son of Origin, Superhero Women. Bring on the Bring bad on guys. The bad guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, those four books, you could really do a lot. That's really odd that Marvel doesn't keep those in print. Yeah, they should. You're absolutely right. That's a great point. Yep. Because with all these essentials and everything, I mean, that would be, uh, you know, that's keystone with that with that whole collection. That would be perfect. Right. Yeah. Especially it, since they're doing the uh, the Marvel team ups in the essential format. Right. Yeah. It it would be the perfect book to give to someone to say here. Not only do you get the first appearances of the mainstays of the Marvel Universe, you get a little bit of history in the text pages on how they and why they were created. And then you also get a, an additional story that's kind of, you know, uh, in the middle of their run or some part of their run where they're, they've been established for a while. So it gives you a beginning and a feel for the character as it's progressed as well. So Maybe they should update the origins of Marvel Comics. That'd be interesting. And, and insert a third story that, say, the last five years, which would be kind of difficult because the done and one are basically a thing of the past. Yeah. And it's back, done in one yeah. trade, maybe. Yeah, back then. It, well, you, they can put a little excerpt. You know, if you liked these stories, this is what it looks like now. Right. Stan could sell it. The man could sell anything. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, let's see. She also has X-Men, which, again, the the first three um, Uncanny Essentials, that's perfect. Yeah. And there it gets a little confusing because we have Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, which collects X-Men 1 through 24. And then you go to Classic Uncanny X-Men Volume 2, which continues it to 25, from 25 to 53, and Avengers number 53. And then we go to... X-Men Volume 1, which kicks off Giant Size X-Men and takes us from 94 to 119, which up to um, up to the most recent volume. Um, I'd have to default to the the uh, the burn stuff for the X-Men because that's 
to not, like volume two, yeah. issue 120 to 141. Yeah, not to slight the original stories because they were great, but X-Men really blossomed under Byrne and, and Claremont. You know, go a little further than that, too, because, I mean, I remember reading those X-Men, you know, like even 109 and, and, and some of those issues, and, uh, and there was a lot of great character development in those issues that led up to the the phenomenal stories you know from like you say from like 118 120 up to you know until he left the book at 143 mm-hmm. um but i i would suggest if you're going to delve into x-men i would suggest that you start with the new x-men and don't start with the the classic six because i think there's more to it there's a lot more to it and once you see these characters and how they're portrayed in the new x-men and how they react with the, interact with the new characters then when you can go back and read the older X-Men, some of those characters are still there, and I think it makes it uh, a little more feasible to read, a little more uh, easier to swallow. Right. Plus, you don't want to not see the uh, Neil Adams work also. Absolutely. And... Durango covers. (laughs) You can always, for a contemporary take, the new X-Men omnibus would be perfect. Yeah, that would be ideal. That's... that's a big that's a big price tag though. Right, right. Any of the omnibuses are going to set you back um yeah. anywhere from 75 to 100 dollars, but they are well worth it. I'm halfway through my new X-Men omnibus and I was really stunned at the quality of the paper. It's not typical monthly stock. It's 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 thicker. Yeah, it's, it's real thick paper. Right. So they they went all out. You definitely get your money's worth on an Absolutely. omnibus. Yeah. And the concepts that Grant Morrison injected into his run, unbelievable stuff. Yes. And the repercussions of that are still being felt. Uh, you can't really understand Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men without having, if you haven't experienced Grant Morrison's new X-Men, because, you know, Cassandra Nova and some of the things that he set up in there are still playing out today. So that would be, if if you want an up-to-date um, look at the X-Men. The new X-Men omnibus is the way to go. And l- let's do that for all of them. What would be a current take on Spider-Man that would get her relatively up to speed on what's going on now? Mm, friendly Neighborhood, maybe? Because I, I really don't want to... Well, I don't know. The uh, Coming Home by JMS and uh, John Romita Jr. Would yeah. That, that, that kicked off their arc. Would, 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 yep. that, uh, would that be all right? I think it would give you a uh, a grounding in the title, but there have been a lot of developments since then. But as far as the look and the feel of what a current Spider-Man comic book looks like, yeah, I would say Coming Home is good. Because when you think about it, what current book can she read without jumping into Civil War? Right. That's a very hard thing to sell right now. I mean, because there's so... Uh, all the issues uh, tying in with the whole tumultuous event of civil war everything's changing everything's you know amalgamating and, and and deviating and so it's it's hard to jump into a mainstream book right now and try to get a good feel for what's going on because you know you don't know what's going to happen you know in the next two three months you know there's could be some real key characters that completely change uh from what we so to get to like get something right now and then two months from now it's already starting to change or has changed, uh, and I think that would kind of really th- throw you off. Are we are, are we trying to be set in 616, or would turning someone on to the Ultimate Spider-Man title be a, uh, be a choice? Um, I think that's a good choice. Yeah, it's a very good choice, but as far as 
And then again, she doesn't say, I don't want to get into Marvel 616. She says, I want to read some Marvel books. Right. And that's what I'm I mean, it, we, there are good Marvel books across any of their imprints. So right. It's not... Uh, I mean, right. granted, I, I would... I would love somebody to be involved into the same universe that I grew up reading, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with the Ultimate Universe. No, especially Spider-Man. Right. Right. And she says she's already reading and enjoying Ultimate Fantastic Four, so... Yes. Let's face it. If there's a stronger female character in any of Marvel's imprints than the Ultimate Mary Jane, uh, I've yet to find Mm -hmm. her. Bendis has done a wonderful job at fleshing out that character. She's as real as you or I to me. She, yeah. he, she, uh, every one of her, you know, desires and her wants and her, you know, the, her opinions. You know what the character. He'll put her in a situation where she's say talking to another character, and you can almost tell based on what he's done before how she's going to respond to them. That's how real this character is. So, and she's very strong uh, female character. So, yeah, maybe Ultimate Spider-Man's the way to go. I think I think I'd almost have to agree with you, especially at this time. I think that would be the characterizations are very strong. It's reminiscent of the original Spider-Man series, which you know got the character to be legendary as it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's kind of a new twist. It's got some new uh, you know flash to it. And uh, I think that's a good place. I think that's yeah. a real good thing, man. I think that's the best way right. at this point. It's a tip of the hat to the original Spider-Man, but he didn't mm-hmm. ape, ape it page per page. He he, right. he managed to capture the spirit without capturing the details, which one would think would be an impossible task, but he somehow managed to do it. And let's not short Mark Bagley. No. Right. He, the energy and the just the excitement that guy drops on every page is very reminiscent of Ditko's work. Yeah, very dynamic. Yep. Very dynamic. Yep. So that's a, I, I would say that's a definite... Oh, I, I'm I'm all I'm right there. I think yeah. that's a great choice because, like I said, it's hard for the titles you know going on right now. It's sensational, amazing, and and friendly neighborhood. I I think it's just uh, too much. I don't think you'll enjoy it as much. Um, I think once you're established and and then you have a more feel for the character and you can get kind of caught up, then you can read them. Then it'll I think it'll sit well better. But uh, right. I think if you just jump in right now, I think I think you you'd lose it a bit. Yeah, and there are a number of ways she can jump into the Ultimate Spider-Man book. There's hardcovers, there's a trade mm-hmm. line, and was that released on um, DVD-ROM? Like, no, I don't, th- I don't think that was. I don't was. think so, no. Oh, see, that's crazy, because they released Ultimate X-Men. Yeah. Which I would think they would pick Spider-Man before that, but... I know they had the hardcovers, the larger hardcovers, which, you know, encompass at least 13 issues per hardcover and now i heard that they're going to reprint those into a trade format now wow so you're going to be able to buy those you know 13 or 15 issue blocks that normally would encompass two trades sometimes maybe three um into one trade so you'll get more bang so that even makes it easier to uh, get into it any opinions on ultimate x-men i think that would just confuse her in terms of the 616 marvel universe hmm I think any X-Men would confuse her. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you're right. <laughs> Rick has to put it in perspective. <laughs> yeah. He's, th- that, that's his job on this show. He's just sitting letting us dig our hole and then, you know. <laughs> Undermine you. That's right. <laughs> very He's like Dig, dig Doug. Very talented. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I Ultimate X Men was one of the books I I started off reading it, but I just dropped out after maybe thirty issues. It just they they set out to untangle the X Men continuity, and I think they just managed to make a whole bigger mess of it. So yeah, it, it doesn't have the excitement or the the uh, the immediacy of the Ultimate Spider Man. Well, you'll be be there when they do the Ultimate uh, Wolverine origin, all right, Vince? It's um, I think that's mean done by uh, Jeff Loeb and Michael Turner. Yeah, I think I'll wait for the trade on that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait for the essential. Yeah. There you go. And uh, one other choice she had was Punisher. Well, I did mention the Punisher Essential Volume 1. Mm-hmm. For a more adult take on the Punisher, she can always jump into the Marvel Max version of the character, which is written by Garth Ennis. and Drawn I, by a whole slew of artists. No, you're, you're right. Um, it is a more adult take. It's, um, it, it is set. In the 616 universe, although it's kind of like a a very dark corner, you're not really going to see Spider-Man flying around too often swinging on his webs. But um, it's, it's not to say it can't happen. I would, for, for, a, um, for a contemporary fun look on Punisher and Frank Castle, I would say Punisher Volume 1, Welcome Back, Frank, oh, by, yeah. uh, by, by Garth and Steve Dillon. That will at least, that, that'll, um, that'll bridge the gap, I think, to from... What was going on in the '80s, and has has um, you know because I didn't I, I didn't stick with Punisher to the very end. I mean I, I stuck with it through the whole Punisher goes black, the whole Luke Cage storyline, and 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 I stuck with it for a while, but I did not read the bitter end. So I I I, I know you were telling me things happen to microchip that I'm not aware of, but as far as <laughs> separating the Punisher from the '80s. To what's going on today, and now that he's showing up in in Civil War, and he has this new um, Marvel U proper book with War Journal, I would think Welcome Back Frank is a uh, is a good start. Yeah, Microchip is one of my favorite characters, and how about Fraction subtly reintroducing Microchip without actually bringing the character back? Yeah, that, I thought that was a really neat twist on it. But uh, Punisher was one of those books that, when it's good, it was really good. But like you said about the whole Luke Cage, and there were times where I was just ashamed to be picking up that book. Now he just became another Wolverine where they were using him all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it just got so watered down, and, and, and uh, it's nice that he wasn't around for a while. You had the Max book, but now that you're getting the War Journal back, you're getting that more Marvel Universe feel to the character, which I think has been missing for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. War Journal is a good place to hit. Yeah, and and another thing I thought when we were talking about Ultimate Universe, we didn't mention Ultimates, which, oh, um, you know, I think is uh, is something that is such a powerful book. I mean, we didn't really talk about Avengers when we were talking about classic Marvel, um, and and I I don't think I would really re- recommend that right away. Um, that's something you could go back to later on after you've read more, a lot of Marvel and such, but. Um, but I think Ultimates would be a, dar- a damn good book to pick up, um, oh, yeah. and re- you know, there's the characterizations in that are so realistic, and so now, you know, as you want to talk about, you know, in present time, so to so to speak, um, I would recommend that. And she also, and, and especially since she has read the Ultimate Iron Man, um, she picked up the Ultimate Iron Man trade by right. uh, Scott Card and Kubert. Uh, and she has the luxury of actually reading the Ultimates in 
one sitting if she wants to, whereas where we had to wait years to read the whole yes. story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The longest running 13 right. issue series known to man. <laughs> but what it was so worth the wait, though. I, I can only imagine what they have planned for that last issue. Yeah. Who doesn't love the ultimate Nick Fury? I love him. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great one. I bet you I could pin him too. <laughs> I love him. I mean, I love him. I love him in the Ultimates. Then I um. I hear. Then, then unfortunately, I um. I get to him in Ultimate Power, and and I'm reaching for the mouthwash. I just man, that was such a sad storyline that's starting in that. Oh yeah. But uh, let's keep it upbeat. Let's focus for on the, the positive. Yeah, let's focus on the positive for the new readers. Um, <laughs> next up, she has, what books do you think are essential to one's collection? Oh, oh. Yeah. And naturally, I would say, just take it as a given, I would say, get all, get ooh, your hands. Kevin has his hand raised. Oh, oh okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I would say, get your hands, <laughs> get your hands on any essential you can. Those are, as you said, they're essential to your collection. That's the the economical way to pick up a nice foundation in the Marvel Universe. But other than that, there are a slew of essential trades that I'm sure these guys are going to clue you in on. Marvel's Black, Kirk Busiek, and Alex Ross. Yeah. See, now, that, that to me, though, that might not... I got a lot of fun out of that, and I know I just got Kevin off. I got a lot of fun out of that because I remember what was going on. I, I remember reading the stories that um, that that are reporter friend was living and these stories were all the background were going on in the background I remember reading the comics that these actually happened so I had a lot more fun reading Marvels than than someone who may not have the uh, the benefit of, of the history but I think I think that's a great story period Kevin uh, well you, you just took the wind out of my sails I was just gonna say Marvels is what I was going to recommend as as an encompassing book for a couple of her questions more to the fact that I was going to suggest it in, in the reason that, David, you didn't, is the fact that if you don't, you know, read a lot of the early Silver Age stuff and up to the Bronze Age, here is one trade paperback you can buy that you can read that touches on a lot of keystones with a lot of different characters and a lot of different titles, puts it in a very realistic, um, uh, every man kind of, you know, not participating into it, but a spectator. Um, which really kind of gives you, as a, a fan, a different you know facet, a different perspective on the Marvel Universe. And by buying the trade of that in the back, uh, it shows all of Kurt Busiek's research and shows that every Marvel uh, appearance that they touch upon in Marvels tells you what issue, you know, and where it came from. So that way, you know, you can you can read those four issues of Marvels, and and really get a, a a really nice overview of the whole universe and it has such a wonderful feel and such an enjoyable read and then by checking out the appendix in the back you can see all of these books that have been touched upon by this series and then if you want to you know you can really start you know cross referencing and cross checking and picking up those items whether they're in essential format or otherwise and uh, I think that is would be my top recommendation for her, honestly. It's a good one. Yeah, actually, I think. Hello. I think we could just. I, I, I think we can just. Um, we can just excise my part out and just let Kevin recommend Marvels. Mr. Gordon. No. Secret Wars. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I know it sounds goofy and kind of trite, but I think Secret Wars would be a nice little, a nice little addition. You know, you actually, I, I have absolutely. It's it's light. It's you know it's not too heavy, uh, and if you don't like it, oh well. You know, I think <laughs> I think it's the perfect suggestion because if she experiences the black costume and where it came from, she could very easily slide into current Spider-Man books and say, right. you know, she'll right. get a little a little bit of continuity there. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus Secret Wars because of the fact that it took place. You know, outside of our universe, that it took place on its own little planet, so to speak. It wasn't bogged down by any continuity or any of those types of circumstances. So it is a nice standalone read where you can get introduced to all these characters and enjoy and understand, you know, how they are, how they react with each other and what their powers are and, and the whole ball of wax. But it's not laden or burdened into continuity. Right. right. There's, there's no heavy amount of emotional investment. It's just a. Just a little read, see what happens. Yep. And and the only thing you really have to, I mean, aside from it having to deal with continuity, yeah, the black costume's coming back in February. But aside from the black costume that Spider-Man obtains during the series, really the only other thing that I recall that came out of the Secret Wars was Ben Grimm staying on Battleworld and She-Hulk replacing him on the Fantastic Four. Other than that. It was pretty much a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. You had the entire pantheon of Marvel heroes. You had the rogues gallery of villains. So it's pretty much one-stop shopping for her to get her feet wet in, in who all these people are running around. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Doom's a badass, so you got to love that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I did have Secret Wars listed as, as, um, as one of my answers for question three. So at least Rick and I are on the same page. And, and I'm on the <laughs> same page with Kevin, too, because he recommends Marvel's. No, I think they're, that's a very good suggestion. Uh, I didn't even think of that. And, uh, and now that you mentioned it, 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 it's perfect. It is a perfect suggestion. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm holding I'll the issues for my sons. Lovely. Oh, that's a good thing. <laughs> that is. That's a wonderful thing. I can't wait for Vince to say that. I really, I mean, because uh, I, I, I know his son's just too young to enjoy it right now, but I'm, I'm waiting to hear Vince say, no, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, my son's going to read that. <laughs> See, I'm going to give him all the DC books so he can he can mangle them, and and you know, <laughs> actually, if he cuts if he cuts and pastes, they, they might make sense. Right. Give him Infinite Crisis and make him tell make his own story out of it. And uh, w- once he reads those, I'm going to say, okay, now you learned how not to do it. I'm going to show you how it's done right. But no, I, I, I have a couple more essentials, Vince, but I'll let you go. No, you go. That's that's fine. No, 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 no. I'm, no. I'm I, having I, a. I'm having a good time here listening to you guys. You just go crazy. Uh, this is Bullpen Bullpen Podcast, and you are listening to to it right now. Hosted by Vince B. and David Price. And this is Domino Blue speaking. Who, if you want to meet, you, I'll be at the New York Comic Con 2007. Also, I'm doing a little documentary there about comic fans. And if you want to participate just PM me at the forums and we can talk. Anyway, this has some of the best commentary on comics, especially Marvel comics I ever heard. And it's a very enjoyable podcast. So just listen to it. If you don't, you're Goomba. Got it? Good. Anyway, have fun and, and keep listening. Well, for one... 
for one non-team-centric storyline. Actually, I, I have a couple, but the first one is the Miller, Ramita Jr., Jansen, Daredevil, Man Without Fear. Yeah. Because I thought that was a great little year one type story for Daredevil. David, you must be reading my mind. I got everything I have in my notes. You're just, you're just that step ahead of me. <laughs> I stick alike. Yeah. Um, it was, I, um, I finally finished the series much later. I remember buying the first two issues, and, and I loved those to death. And I thought it was, and it looked great, and it was, it was Frank Miller writing Daredevil, which, you know, a lot of people think that's the character he was born to write. And it was, it's a great story. And like I said, it was, it, it's a year one type story that, tells you everything you need to know I think in those five issues and, and it's been traded and I'm dying to see the trade because I'd love to see any extras that are going on in there and actually from what I read most uh, actually yesterday because the Miller Jansen Daredevil omnibus is coming in January they're actually they've started to think about the sequel to that and it's going to include stories that Miller worked on for Daredevil, and one of them is The Man Without Fear. So to right. see that in an omnibus sometime down the line would be just, that would be that would be great. I can't wait to see that. I mean, that's another one of those books that the art and the story are just so phenomenal, and they, they lend themselves to each other. Um, it, it's brilliant. It is utter brilliance in a book. Uh, yeah. John Romita Jr. with Al Williamson inking. Uh, the, the art and the storytelling is phenomenal. And then the story itself, the way Frank, you know, like you said, year one's, uh, you know, the whole Daredevil history there in the beginning is is, is utter brilliance. I, I love that book. I know there were some diehard Daredevil fans that didn't like it. They liked, you know, the, the happy-go-lucky, you know, Stanley Bill Everett Daredevil. So when they when they see that, they kind of like use that, look at it like a, an Elseworlds, a what-if kind of thing. But uh, the majority of the populace... Um, this is, you know, Daredevil's foundation. This is the, the quintessential origin of Daredevil. And, and thank you. I, I, I knew it looked clean for a reason. I completely, I, I just, stupid me, I just assumed that Jansen inked them, and I, I did forget that it was Williamson, and that's, that's another reason why I loved it, because generally Jansen can, can muddy a lot of pencils, and, and he was great with Ramita Jr. on Enemy of the State, which I'm sure some, someone will mention mm -hmm. somewhere down the list, but um, but Williamson I think worked wonders on Ramita Jr. It was it, it was a beautiful looking book. It, it read nice, but but the art was just phenomenal. And then that way, if if you read into, you know, if you read Man Without Fear and you really do enjoy it, then you can go and pick up a couple other Daredevil trades, such as Guardian Devil and and Born Again, and uh, you know, and those are just or and even get Daredevil Yellow. You know, those are those are brilliant stories, and 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 it's a nice standalone character, very more grounded because Daredevil's not some superpowered character, so he's more. And then you can also get into the the current, you know, Daredevil with the Bendis and also the Brubaker. I mean, the Bendis is like you know, yeah. superheroes meets Sopranos, you know. So if you kind of dig that, you know, you, there's a whole other flavor to it. So there's a lot out there for Daredevil that, you know, you can encompass a lot of uh, a lot of different genres. Uh, and jump all around, but yet it's all still brilliant. So, yep, I agree. And it's a shame that they've never managed to get around to collecting Ramita Jr. and Al Williamson's run on Daredevil, the Anasenti run. 
Oh, they wow. started to. There's one trade out. Yeah, that's a crime. I think if there's ever a, um, a run that needed to be brought back into the limelight, it's that one. That was really unappreciated at the time, and I think it's all but forgotten now. Uh, just I some mean, it's it's, cool. it's. I've seen some more uh, attention being drawn to it lately, which I'm very grateful for because I agree with you. It it it, it is seemed to be uh, foreshadowed by all the other Daredevil, uh, you know pieces and uh, I, I'm, I was glad when they did the Typhoid Mary trade paperback and I'm like well I hope this is uh, you know what we can expect from the future is to you know almost like a visionaries kind of thing and, and, and encompass that because it was I mean Anna Senti did a beautiful job writing Daredevil and, and, and John Romita again you know meshed with her and some of the stories you would think if you know if I would tell what the plot lines and, and the characters involved you'd almost you know not believe it but the way she wrote it and the way he drew it, you know, it just it all made sense and it was all very enjoyable. Right, and very different from the uh, path Frank Miller blazed. She just went yes. in a complete opposite direction, and and it worked really well. I went uh, really generic on this question. I said any of the Visionaries books for a person who isn't steeped in Marvel continuity. You need to experience the various facets of the universe. The Jack Kirby Visionaries books. The Steve Ditko, the Frank Miller ones, the uh, the John Byrne, Walt Simonson. I mean, all these books will show you that Marvel has a wealth of superheroes and titles to choose from, and they pretty much give you the best of it. It's kind of like a big sampler plate, a veritable poo poo platter. <laughs> <laughs> In, uh, I think they're hardcovers, too, correct? The ones that focus on creators themselves, yes. But the ones that focus on titles and a specific creator, those are in trade. Um. So I'll do a quick off-the-rack. Um, Becca bought me a new book, and it was an issue of Spoof. Spoof number one. Cool. Digging up the old Bronze Age shit. You have it made. Your wife buys you comics? My wife treats them like like they were the plague. Like, ew. Well, she'll, she'll still hold it like it's a dirty diaper, but... Well, that's all right. <laughs> Does that have Marie, Marie Severin art in it? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Love Marie. There's an under, unappreciated artist right there. Uh, her work she, on the Hulk. Oh, she did not get her due. Nope. No. You pass are so structured. Yeah. That's our problem. What uh-huh. a bunch of squares. <laughs> he, he's, he's doing the old dotted box in the air now. <laughs> That's right. I know. Daddy-o. Yeah. The, uh, Dig it. I do cool have, your jets. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, I, I, snap her car. Oh, jeez. No, that's DC, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I, hey, how about this? We'll do it just like the real world. Let's keep going. And then when yeah. Kevin comes back, we'll just stick him in. Okay. Yeah, warts, warts and all, baby. Uh, I, I, was think, I, I was thinking Excalibur, but that I think could be further down the line. Because even though the Excalibur Classic Volume 1 would be a fun and, and pretty read, oh. um, Sexy. Volume three is when the cross time caper begins. Yeah. So I think that, and that's that. That we're talking about a lot of Marvel characters and going on, you know, or or reasonable facsimiles of, and that might be pretty neat. But 
Um, it's it's neat, but is it essential to the Marvel universe? No, you're right. Well, it's it's essential to me, but you're right. You're right, Rick. I know exactly what you're saying. Like, I mean, you know, when you look at when you look at stories like Marvels and Daredevil, Man Without Fear, and maybe the death of Captain Marvel or or the Marvel Visionaries that that Vince is talking about. Yeah, Excalibur might not. I mean, you know, there's a reason why it wasn't selling back then is because it was kind of a an on the fringe book. So mm-hmm. the only other only other single um, singular that I can think of was a was a really nice read would be the uh, Iron Man Demon in a Bottle storyline. Yeah. Yep. For a, a, a nasty little corner of the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it gives and it might and, and because she has read Ultimate Iron Man, it'll give her um, it'll give her some background on the six one six Tony Stark and 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 how people will occasionally still point fingers and go, "Well, dude, you on the wagon again? You drink?" Yeah. You know? So yeah. I mean, it's it kind of gives you an idea as to and and. It's Michelini writing it, but it's got beautiful Romita Jr. and Bob Layton artwork. Oh. So. Yeah. <laughs> and see, you just pointed out where I dropped the ball. I wanted to introduce introduce Rick as the resident Iron Man armor polisher in the beginning, but I, I forgot. <laughs> oh, this is for a red, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Can I get you a drink, Mr. Stark? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Can I polish your nuts and bolts? Oh, no. Oh. Good lord! <laughs> I, all the unsubscribe buttons are now being hit in iTunes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, yeah, but I, I think the Visionaries would be a neat place for her to start in terms of the classics and somewhat contemporary books. And you, they look nice on the shelf. You know, uh, you get a little bit of a, a sampling of old, sampling of new. What would you call the Visionaries line, Rick? Uh, a must read. I mean... <laughs> He's going for that quote. Uh, yeah, I'm going for the quote. <laughs> a must read. Uh, the biggest movie of the summer. Uh, well, let me just digress really quickly. Now, was she very specific about Foundation-type characters, or can you veer off and maybe throw in, like, a man-thing essential? Oh, see, I was going to, yeah. Uh, that's perfectly fine, but I, I would think that would be a non-mainstream Marvel book. But it would pull you into the Marvel U. Sure. But not, in, but not into the Marvel U. Right. So um, I think like maybe a man thing or a Howard the Duck or even Doctor Strange essential. In terms of showing her... Not having any luck with the Skype tonight, are we? No. What the hell? I mean, I... I don't know. It, it seems to, yeah. to just be playing around. And I, I know when I did the one with Rick, it didn't... Uh, well, this I, is this is par for the course for us. I mean... <laughs> I feel bad because I'm like you know I, I first and last appearance on your show. <laughs> Keep getting dropped and, and, and f those guys. Right. <laughs> so there you have it. I, I think, that was fun. Yes, yes. Uh, both of those guys are okay in my book. They they know way too much about Marvel comics, and oh, and yeah. and they say it with uh, with flair. Well, Kevin does. <laughs> I want a rematch. Oh, you're going to get it. Yeah, I'm afraid. I think he's not even going to smile. He's just going to walk up to me and just slam me into a wall. (laughs) That's okay. He'll do it with love. I'll do it with something. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Keep an eye out or an ear out for part two. And Kevin, if you're listening, we need to do this again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rick, too. For the third time. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, from uh, Vince B. And from David. We will see you again next time. Good night, folks. Don't you ever, ever feel sad. Lean on me when things are bad. When the day comes and you are down. And a river of troubles are about to drown. Just hold on. I'm a coming. 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 Reach out for me for satisfaction. Call my name for quick reaction. I'm always going to be your lover. If you call, I'll be your cover. But just hold on. I'm a coming. Oh, hold on. I'm coming.